Hello, and welcome to the Philosophical Angle podcast with your host, author Chris Angle. Hi, this is the Philosophical Angle program, and I'm your host, Chris Angle. I'm the author of four books on philosophy, one of which is The Philosophical Equations of Economics, which you can see at www.philosophypublishing.com. Available with me is my host and colleague and good friend and a venture capitalist out on the West Coast, Rick Samuelson. Rick, good to see you. Good to see you. The purpose of the philosophical angle is to examine the nature of concepts being used in current media. And this week we're going to discuss why the left looks to start violence when conservatives speak. And this has become apparent at rallies and demonstrations and protests and lectures at universities and speeches at major gatherings where the topic of these gatherings is a conservative or 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 somebody espousing conservative principles. The left has been trying to show up and really violently interject themselves into the proselytizing of the conservative speaker. And it's not been just a recent, uh, uh, any recent event. It's really been going on uh, since the 60s. Uh, when it uh, started, when the left started showing up at lectures given by conservative speakers to, to shout down uh, the lecturer and uh, in order to uh, intercept the ideas of the conservative from, from being heard. Uh, now, I, I should say, to, uh, and, and to be fair, the left sometimes does it to the left also, which brings in mind uh, the 1968 Democratic Convention in Chicago uh, for the uh, when they were electing uh, their nominee to be the president. It was uh, it was one wing of the left violently opposing uh, others in the Democratic Party. But the left in 99% of the cases goes after the right that is lecturing or bringing forth its ideas by interjecting itself by the use of violence. And we have particularly noticed this of late since the election of Donald Trump uh, to the presidency of the United States. It's become a, a, a direct assault on free speech by the left resorting to really uh, uh, Violent, violent tactics. What brings us to, to speak about it um, are the recent in, uh, incidents, especially at Charlottesville and, uh, and Berkeley and, and others. But it needs to be noted that not only are the counter-protesters uh, by the left including violence, uh, but some of them also include surreptitious defamation. Um, and, and what I mean by this is that most of the media, which clearly has a, a left bias, will try to skew the, world, uh, the words of Donald Trump so as to give the wrong impression as to the meaning, of, as to what he actually said. And they do this uh, in order to give a certain impression that Donald Trump is a racist, a bigot, a homophobe, and ultimately they want to paint the picture uh, that all the followers of President Trump are, are racists and, and, and bigots. And um, 
one case that was pointed out by Rush Limbaugh on August 30th in this uh, in his daily radio show. Uh, the media changed the word uh, that Donald Trump had used. It swapped the word uh, many and changed it to all. And this was in the context of discussing the violence perpetrated by the left on the right at one of the counter-protests. But as Limbaugh pointed out, it changed the meaning to the extent that it, it gave the impression that Donald Trump and his, and his followers are all racist and bigots. Okay, so why does the left have a proclivity to add violence to a counter-protest or iterate verbal violence at a lecture by trying to shout down the speaker? Or, or in any other way to try to stop the proselytizing by the, by the conservative publicly? The conservatives don't do this. But the left definitely does. So why? Well, the left comes to shut down the free speech proselytizing of the conservatives because they feel, for for two reasons, that they that they must do this. And and the and the first reason is that the right is evil, and the evil must be stamped out. Conservatives are inherently bad, and they must be stopped. Uh, secondly, force may be used because there is no reason to cooperate with the conservative right. Therefore, ethics is not a consideration. Their methodology only includes that the end justifies the means. And the, the ends justify the means is not a system of ethical behavior as it allows anybody with this thought process to do freely anything they, they, they might have a fancy to do. And uh, as such, in their minds, they may, use, they may use force to stop the proselytizing of the right because they are able to. Now, we add in their thought that it's obvious that conservatives of the right are evil and that they have exploited the poor people since the beginning of time uh, especially so in the last hundred years, then they are clearly evil. They, uh, or the conservatives, have exploited people within the United States, for for example, the blacks, when, which were slaves to the white males, and internationally they have exploited people of other nations too. It, it, it must be obvious that because uh, Americans have the most wealth, they, they must have obtained this wealth through exploitation. They always come out with more than the people that they are dealing with. That's why America has great wealth and and others do not. This is a, a thought process of uh, not of logic. It's uh, it's of emotion. But but there it is. The thought process by which the left lives and breathes. So. What drives Americans to be exploitative like this? Well, it's, it's obvious. They are driven and motivated to do this because they are uh, racist and fascist and bigoted and, and, uh, uh, and hateful. Uh, this, gives, this gives them the energy to be exploitative. And, and surely the left can't be entirely wrong. 
Well, they are. And they are entirely wrong. Well, what does America, uh, what, do, what makes America prosperous and wealthy if it's, if it's not exploitation? What does make America wealthy? What does America do to make it prosperous? What does America do to make it exceptional? What is the nature of American exceptionalism? What makes America great are the following characteristics that are enshrined in the philosophy of the, of the U.S. Constitution. First, freedom. So let's define freedom. Thomas Jefferson talked about freedom in the uh, Declaration of Independence, referring, uh, referencing uh, uh, John Locke, uh, that, uh, that noted everybody has the right to the pursuit of happiness and to liberty. So uh, uh, to define liberty, or, or, or that is freedom, uh, the philosophical angle defines it as the creation of a, a priority in one's consciousness and then the effectuation of that priority into, into reality for the individual. The effectuation means the creation of the sacrifice and the pursuance of it in achieving a, a reward. The third quality of the exceptionalism of America is property rights. That is, we own the sacrifice and the reward that we just noted in the effectuation process. The last component necessary to create wealth and prosperity and make America exceptional within the world is the, the minimal impedance from the outside sources, such as by government, uh, into, onto the effectuation of the reward and on the sacrifice. For the most part, this means no taxation or little taxation compared to the rest of the world. And so these are the ingredients of the American prosperity, wealth, and exceptionalism. But so let's ask Rick what he thinks about the violence of the left perpetrated on the conservatives uh, who speak publicly about their their ideals. What do you think, Rick? I'd like to raise the three points. I, I like your example from um, the uh, Eugene McCarthy experience with the far left when he was attacked because Nancy Pelosi, of course, was just shouted down a few days ago by the DACA kids who are demanding that they all be allowed to stay in the United States or not one of them should be allowed to stay in the United States, uh, demanding that she take uh, more aggressive action. So I think you can expect to see uh, ever more attacks on mainstream Democrats or what used to be mainstream Democrats. I'm not quite sure where the Democratic Party is right now. It's obvious, obviously continuing to move left, but you know, Nancy's not left enough, it would seem. Um, so that's an interesting, that's an inter interesting phenomenon, and I think it points to ever uh, worse results in elections in the coming years. I, I, I think it'll take some time still before the Democratic Party realizes realizes that it's on a suicide mission. Because, uh, I would also mention. Couple of articles I've read on this whole phenomenon, 
microaggression, it appears, uh, which of course is cultivated on campuses. So one has to look to the campuses, the college campuses um, first, I think, in terms of finding the, the ultimate source of this. And this cult of microaggression uh, runs along the following. Since uh, a, a badly timed or badly wrought phrase or word or label is considered an act of violence by the left leftist on campuses. I mean, this is the way it's this is the way speech is being redefined. In their minds, uh, it must be met with an act of physical violence because they're the same. They have conflated verbal violence, what they consider to be verbal violence, that is to say dissent, a different point of view, whatever you want to call it, with physical violence. And this is a product of the, you know, kind of bizarre culture arising out of the universities, which you could argue have, uh, in many cases, uh, with, with some exceptions like University of Chicago and a few others, Hillsdale, um, have uh, failed, increasingly failed in their mission to serve the greater interests of, of society. Um, as, and and at the, at the bedrock of our society is the Constitution, as you rightly point out. Um, so I wonder if it isn't time that uh, average Americans, the ones who actually pay the bills for, for these outlandish tuitions, uh, and start to revolt themselves. I mean, can you imagine a corporation raising its prices for, say, 40 years straight, okay, um, and there not being any consequences for that? And as a consequence, actually, the consumers of that product uh, are, are, are saddled with $1.5 trillion in debt because they can't pay for this uh, good or service. That's exactly what colleges and universities have done in this country. They've gotten away for 40 years with raising prices and not delivering a better product in any tangible way. And now here we are with $1.5 trillion in student debt and the, the default rates are, are, are trending toward a third already. So this will collapse just as the housing crisis collapsed. Um, not quite sure when, but it's inevitable. Uh, and the universities receive no criticism for this. <clears throat> and at, at, by the same token, they are nurturing a whole generation of students that uh, can't abide free speech, that attack the very principles of, on which their freedom is based, and um, in most cases are not punished. Okay. It's, it's actually an astonishing phenomenon. And uh, they're not punished because, not punished by the university or by their parents? Right, by the universities, by the universities specifically. They may be punished by their parents, but I, I haven't read of any cases of that. Uh, but certainly there's very little punishment at the university level. So are we to infer that the leftists also control the universities? Absolutely. Okay. Almost lock, stock, and barrel. I say, I say that with a few exceptions. Hillsdale comes to mind. 
I think University of Chicago's um, full-throated defense of free speech uh, is, you know, makes that university an exception. But University of Michigan, Yale, uh, Middlebury, there's a long list of universities that have, uh, if not inculcated this approach to uh, attacking free speech, have at least allowed it to happen without intervening. Okay. Rick, thanks very much. And we'll see everybody next week on on the next edition of The Philosophical Angle. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on The Philosophical Angle podcast. Be sure to subscribe and join us for the next installment.